Hey fam, welcome to the You Can Sit With Us podcast. My name is Lexi B and I am your host and executive producer. Let's get into it. Wahab is the head of diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging at Duolingo and founder of OneRec, the community for recruiting leadership with over 3,000 members who represent the majority of Fortune 500 companies. Previously, he has held leadership positions in talent strategy and DEI at Meta, Rubric, and venture capital firm Andreessen Horowitz. He currently serves as the board of directors for ColorStack, a nonprofit organization that promotes the advancement of underrepresented college computer science students. Welcome, Wahab. How are you? Hi, Lexi. I'm doing good. I'm doing good. This is a long time coming. I miss you, friend. I miss you, too. And we have to first discuss how we met. I think it's a crazy story. We met on a stage at Stanford like 85,000 years ago. Do you remember this? <laughs> I loosely remember it because we had like a, we had like a, we met and then we sort of went separate ways and then it just sort of came back again. So yeah. 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 So what is in your coffee cup? What are you drinking with me as we have this conversation, this much needed conversation? In the, I mean, which coffee cup are we talking about here? Are we talking about the weekend coffee cup or? or, or the, we talking about the coffee cup that you bring into the table. I mean, we can do, you know, this is an equal opportunist table. Okay. 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 <laughs> now all right now, i'm gonna tell you what's actually in the cup you know mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, yeah. I, I gotta i gotta drink that black coffee right now <laughs> <No>. <laughs> look it's you a weekday no, there is work to be done <laughs> you know, got no sugar Mm-mm. no cream great no, i'm not even throwing a sweet and low in there we, we, we straight black coffee right now i Grand get time. it it's one of those days one of those days and where are your people from? Where are you from? Where are you right yeah. now? And how does that relate to our coming conversation about multiple streams of income? Yeah. Um, so I'm Nigerian. Whenever I, I get asked this question, I always I always start with the fact that I'm Nigerian, uh, uh, proud, proud Nigerian. I was raised in New York, so I grew up in New York. Um, mm-hmm. I spent I spent the last the last 10 years um, in the Bay. And I just recently uh, moved to Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, to uh, to join Duolingo as their head of DEIB. Well, one, have you ever met a non-proud Nigerian? See, I love Nigerians. <laughs> I love y'all. And for the record, Nigerians are my cousins. Again, I'm married to one. But whenever you meet a Nigerian, I'm a proud Nigerian, as if there's an unproud Nigerian, which I doubt ever exists. Well, we I doubt ever exists. We got to let y'all know. We, we got to let y'all know. <laughs> And number two, so Nigerian, you grew up in New York. You were born in New York. I was no, I was born in Nigeria. Okay, born, so you you are the immigrant. Nigeria. You are the yeah, immigrant. I was born in Lagos, Nigeria. I mean, the thing I think the thing that's maybe a little bit not unique, but just for me, I came to I I moved to New York when I was four years old. Okay. Um. So can you know my whole the majority of my education was in the U.S. I actually went back to Nigeria for two years of high school. Mm. How was that? How was that? 
it was in the in the moment it was very challenging um mm. to go like kindergarten through eighth grade in New York City public schools and then wake up one day <laughs> you know, to a grandmama's uh, house. <laughs> yeah, I mean it was definitely challenging in the time, but to be fair, looking back on it now, it was an amazing experience for me. Um, especially mm. as somebody who was in the DEI space, right? So what I mean by what the reason was amazing in that way, reflecting, is that I was other when everyone around me looked the same. Yeah. Right? I had this yeah. second experience of I'm Black. I look just like everybody else in the classroom, but I was other because of how I spoke, what I mm. sounded like, because I came, you know, I, I, you know, the, the, the sort of the terminology is Yankee. They called you a Yankee in Nigeria. Oh my goodness. That's the, that's the the link. That's the slang for uh, uh, somebody who is Mm. Nigerian, but you know, at that time I wasn't really immersed in, in, in young culture, right? Like I was obviously influenced by my, by my, uh, my parents and, my family, friends, but that's more like familial culture, I would say. Yeah. But that young culture, you know, like of like understanding the music, understand. I didn't I had I didn't know all of that yet. Now I picked right. it up, I learned it, and I uh, came to love it while I was there. But that first that first year was rough. Um, mm. And then I it, it made me realize that a lot of the constructs that we have to divide people, we just decide what they are. <laughs> mm. You know, you know. I mean, obviously in the U.S. It's a lot sometimes around race, gender, you know, a certain intersectionalities of identity. But a lot of those same challenges I faced it in that first year, uh, where the different, the only difference was that oh, you grew up in America, you don't really know what it's like to be like a, a Nigerian living in in Nigeria. Mm. So you born in Nigeria and you also have a lot of siblings and you're the youngest, right? So you're born in Nigeria. Mm-hmm. Mom and dad said, "We out. We're gonna go to America." in many ways you are this black American kid in New York. Right. Mm-hmm. But when you come home to your mom and dad's house, it's like mini Legos. Cause you know exactly yeah. that you're Nigerian. Yeah. Then you commute to high school back to Nigeria for two years. What was it yeah. like coming back after that two year experience? I guess even better. So I came back, I came back after those two years to a boarding school in like, in like the middle of nowhere, Virginia. Okay. Uh, <laughs> um, so, so I had this at this. I mean, by the time I finished high school, I had gone to New York City Public Schools. Mm-hmm. Um, so, melt, complete melting pot, amazing. Like you know, like I love that. Um, went two years. I spent two years of high school in Nigeria, and then um, like boarding school in Virginia. Uh, where I'm around like a lot of rich, like old money. You yeah, know, white white folks from the south, mm-hmm. um, and I think if it taught me anything, it's that you know we're all people, we're all humans. I feel like I've found some type of common ground, some type of ability to have a laugh with everyone across all of these experiences, and that was the biggest the biggest thing for me is like if we all try to try to ha- find some common ground with folks, like <laughs> it's not so simple to be honest. I know that, but it would go a long way. It would go mm. a long way. Um, just a respect for people's cultures, you know? Mm. Mm. I love that. So let's talk about multiple streams of income. I remember when we were prepping for this conversation, and you you, you know me 
personally. So, you know, <laughs> we have personally had some real conversations about multiple streams of income. I want to yeah. ask you, when was the moment in your life where you realized that just having one stream of income is not going to work with your financial goals? Mm, mm. You know, I would say this is like a part of my privilege to be, um, that I have to call out. Like okay. it was, it was very early for me. Um, mm. so my dad, um, one, like my dad, um, one of the things that he preached to us as kids was to never rely on, I mean, his, his version of it was really just to never rely on like your employer. Okay. Like, never rely on one, um, like your job, do an amazing job, you know, pretty typical sort of, if you, if you take it out the trash, be the best, you know, garbage person ever and don't rely on the trash company. Mm. Right. So he preached that to us as, as, as young kids and we saw him move and shake. So he was, he, he wasn't as incredibly successful in what he did. He was in the aviation business and we saw him, even though he had all of that success, you know, have a business where he was, um, you know, he was selling in Nigeria. You, you have to have um, like, like a gate, like really large gates that you would see at the States and you would put barbed wire across the top of your gate. Okay. And he had a business where he sold the barbed wire. <clears throat> so this was the gate in front of your house. In front of your house. Like, you know, okay. you have like a whole compound type situation. Yeah. yeah. So he would like import uh, barbed wire uh, to the country and sell barbed wire uh, to, to, to and install it in people's houses. Um, he would import and export uh, magazines. Um, um, he just had a lot, he had his hands in a lot of different things and we saw it, we saw it in real time. So that was my first, I would say exposure to it. Um, I think more, more sort of to my own personal experience. Um, I, I sort of knew I wanted to make sure that I lived up to that. And then I think I was working at, um, I want to say it was in Dreesen Horowitz mm -hmm. and just getting, on uh, some more visibility into what it means to really own meaningful equity in a, in a company and what that does for your um the potential for your wealth creation mm -hmm. was a second was a second unlock for me so i had worked at universities up until that point i had worked at carnegie mellon i had worked at stanford doing very well and then i took this opportunity at the venture firm and it was like oh I, there's no way I make money for my grandkids, my great grandkids from a nine to five. Like it's not, See? that's not happening, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I've, I've, that was a moment when I was like, okay, well, I want to make sure that when I'm working the nine to five, sure that's for me, but the equity, all the other things that I'm doing that I have ownership, like real meaningful ownership in that's for my grandkids. That's for my great grandkids. That's for my family. Got it. So you, you were raised in a house that whether or not they discussed it a lot, you saw it. And it sounds like your dad also just discussed it. It wasn't just see me. It was, we're going to have a, a discussion about this. No, it was like, see me. <clears throat> and it was like, it was, <laughs> it was minimal discussions, but it was, it was definitely, but I mean, you, 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 you know, the culture. So yeah, yeah <laughs> we're not really having a ton of sit downs. Yeah. There's there a lot of conversation, but it's like, this is your expectation. And then when you grow yeah. up, you're like, Oh, that was yeah. a good idea. <laughs> yeah. There's a 
lot of there was a lot of statements being made. Um, um, but to his credit, he definitely when it comes to that, he definitely walked the walk. Uh, mm. sure. So when you started working, what were your first few jobs? Tell me about these multiple streams of income that you personally started activating when you were new college grad, young adult, 22, yeah. 23. What were you bouncing around? Yeah. Um, so, I, like, you know, I mean, when I first started, like, I didn't, I was just thinking about it. Okay. I was just thinking about it. So my first job out of college, I was a admissions counselor at Carnegie Mellon University in, in Pittsburgh. Um, and you know, my, my, I would, I was traveling a lot, um, for work and I was starting to try to look into like real estate, like, okay, mm-hmm. where, where can I, can I, can I get into a property? Can I do this? And I just didn't have the money, you know, I just couldn't, I didn't have the money and I was, I was risk averse, very risk averse. So, you know, I, I wasn't really trying to leverage, um, the little bit <laughs> that I, that I had, um, at the time, but I had my eyes open. Um, and then the first sort of chance I took or like sort of step I took was um, started a company with uh, two other Carnegie Mellon grads. And um, this is like over 15 years ago. Yeah. Um, and I was working in admissions. So this kind of can tell you that I was really thinking about this um, to help admissions offices uh, recruit students more efficiently. Um, okay. And so the unlock is like, okay, yeah, I'm, I'm in this job. And I'm working and I'm trying to do the best job that I can do. But when I when I recognize uh, inefficiency or a challenge or a problem, um, I'm not going outside of myself to outside of sort of the the company to find the resourcing to to solve for it. I'm like, OK, how can I solve that? Mm. How can that turn into a business? Right. And how do because I'm doing a great job. You know, how can I now bring these solutions back and potentially see if, okay, can I work on this? Uh, Mm. If I'm successful at it, can we turn it into something? Uh, Would they support it? Right. And, you know, I think sometimes I always stress keeping the main thing, the main thing. Right. Like if you do have the nine to five, like nothing else really works. Like there's a reason you're keeping it. And nothing else works if you are not being focused in that role and, and doing being a great employee in that role and the time will come for you know for you to sort of take off and do your own thing if that's what you want so that was early so you know uh carnegie mellon try you know try to try to uh, build this this company that didn't um work out we, we had a lot we had a lot of like i would say um little pond success you know okay. uh we didn't have we didn't have like sort of like the outside success that you know you probably hear more about so we had we had customers and things like that we won a couple of the competitions um the, the major ones with the gates foundation we were one of the first for-profit entities that the gate gates foundation um uh awarded a grant to then went to stanford um uh, to work there, uh, I actually followed my, my boss effectively, who my boss at Carnegie Mellon at the time actually like went with him over to Stanford. Um, and that's where I started to do like consulting. Mm. So, you know, people would just want to get either, either like try to learn. How, like I remember this one lady who she just wanted to build like a, an app and she mm-hmm. was like, I have no idea where to start. Um, can you 
help me like recruit or find a team to help me build this thing. Yes, I can do that. <laughs> you want you want to pay me to do that? And she was like, yeah, I've got a budget. Like, you know, I'll give you finder fee, all of that. So just little things like that. And then you just stack, you know, just stack it up, stack it up. Um, and then I think what you're super familiar with, obviously, is URX. Yes. Um, Tell so us about URX. This, yeah. So around this time at Stanford, um, I had, so at this point, I had gone from Carnegie Mellon to Stanford, and I was on my way to joining Andreessen Horowitz. And, you know, I would just meet people and realize that, gosh, like, I wish I would have known you when I was in this other role. Mm. And I had been to other industry events and not seen this collection of people. And specifically what I'm talking about is tech-based university recruiters, um, people at universities who, who work with them and, um, you know, uh, products that support their work. Um, and so I was like, I'm going to run an event to bring these people together. The, the thing that I think I did that's different than most is rather than just sort of putting up a page and thinking, hey, let's see who shows up. I was like, we're going to charge for this. Um, yeah. Um, because there's value in, in who we're bringing together and the work that we're putting in to make it a legit, like high quality experience. And I thought like 50 people will show up. I was like, I was pretty confident. Hey, I feel like I could find 50 people in the Bay Area to come through. Um, we had 199. I know the exact number because I was so mad we didn't get to 200. I was so mad about that. <laughs> I was like, really? You go, you go stop me right at 199. <laughs> um, but that first year, we had 199 people uh, pull up. Um, people coming from Canada, Australia, and then across the U.S. Right, and um, that that was the that was the first I would say uh, success. Um, that I had like outside of the, the nine to five. I want to go deeper into why you think, not just Papa Waha, but why you think <laughs> having multiple streams of income in your life is helpful. How has it affected you and your family? What What are you thinking about right now when you think about your multiple streams of income? Yeah. Um, well, I did my, I remember, uh, it wasn't the first URX conference I did. It was, I think it was after the second one. Mm. I did, I did my taxes. Yeah. And, and it was the first year where I made, at that time, I made more money. I had more income from everything outside of the nine to five than the nine to five. Mm. Lexi. I walked into work the next day. Couldn't nobody tell me nothing. <laughs> <laughs> I wish somebody would tell me. <laughs> Could <Anything>. nobody, man? <laughs> Ooh, I'm telling you, I'm, I can remember that day so vividly. I had mm. the, I was dropping the shoulder, kicking the leg, strolling all through that place, and I've maintained that feeling ever since. And I think to me that is. Like outside of what you can do and all those other things, like to me, just having that peace of mind and having that security and not not having to I don't know how to put this, like not having to feel a sense of fear about mm. your your job, your place and in, in that place of employment. 
it was a beautiful thing. And and a lot of people have this in other ways. Like, you know, you, you can yeah. come from like a super wealthy family, you know, your, your, your trust fund maybe is like paying your, your rent and your car and all these other things. Or, you know, maybe you have like a wealthy aunt or uncle or parents, or whatever, they're just supporting you. And that's great. And you probably, you know, you probably have had that feeling since you graduated from college or something. But right. For me, it took, it took, what, five, five years out of college, right? Where I built that up for myself. And I was like, oh, so this is why you can be in meetings. You know, you're in that meeting and the person who's like your peer says the thing that everybody's thinking, but says it out loud. And you're like, yo, I can't believe they said that. I believe that's why they can say that. It's like, oh yeah, 100%. it's like it's like they're 100%. not worried about us. Uh, and so, and and actually, and actually, in a weird, in an interesting way, it made me a better, it made me a better, it made me a better employee, it made mm. me a better professional. Because now, I didn't, I really could, I really felt comfortable expressing contrarian opinions, um, sharing ideas, and being comfortable in that. I know I'm gonna do. I know I'm gonna do a great job. At least that's mm. my intent, and that's why that's what I'm going to strive to do that. And if my version of that doesn't work for this particular company or this particular team, then we could talk about it, and we could work it out, we'll go our separate ways. But I'm not going to be fearful of that, right? Yeah. It also makes it so that the things I choose to do or that you can choose to do, you can be more particular about them. Um, you don't have mm. to just take any job, right? You know that you have some type of security blanket, some type of um, um, income to, to rely on. And you want to keep adding to it. So, you know, over these years, um, it helps you get into other areas that you can that you can uh, 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 be financially secure and support your family. So, for example, for me, started with the nine to five. Yeah. Then I've created this conference, um, turned the conference into a community um, focused business with multiple conferences that we right. produce and multiple events and content that we produce. Um, turn that into um, uh, my first real estate investment, right? Like, you know, and, and I don't know what the real estate is going to lead to. That's a relatively newer thing, but that is, you know, you sort of just start with one and then you can kind of build and stack and stack. <clears throat> and And to me, each one unlocks another opportunity that you can that you can you can go down, and ultimately it provides security. I mean, I'm, yeah, it's, it's it like does. investing. Yeah, I mean, you talk about like in people with investing and diversify. I think of it no different, right? If everything's not going to go perfect all the time, it hasn't. We can talk about that. It hasn't gone perfect all the time, um, but because of these multiple um, streams. Um, you know, it doesn't crush me when one aspect of, of it is um, is not going as I planned for it to. I love what you said about the comfortability, the authenticity at work when you start having multiple streams of income, because that really happened with me. I remember having one stream of income going paycheck to paycheck, barely making rent, y'all. Um, little Lexi B at 22, I made $80,000, which to some people is a lot of money. When you that's live a lot, in that's, country, What you mean some people? That's a lot of, yo, I, 20, I was making, you know, I'm not going to do that because I don't want to compare my, you know, because you're right. I'm not going to do that. I was living in San Francisco Bay Area, yeah, making 80000 right. How much were you making at 22? 37500 
How much was your rent check at 22? I think my rent was like 650. Okay, so at 22, I was making $80,000 pre-tax money. My rent yeah. was $1,500 a month. My car note was $400 a month. FYI, do not buy oh. a, a new car when you graduate from college. <laughs> oh, that was a whole decision. You see, now we're now we talking about the decisions. <laughs> but the point was, is that like, I distinctly remember, I forgot how much money I brought in every paycheck, but I distinctly remember yeah. the paycheck closest to the first month rent that went to rent. And then I would scramble and eat ramen noodles until the second paycheck came. And then that was for like mm-hmm. everything else. And I remember a, about nine months into it, I met this big tech company. There's 200 other new college grads and they're going to Tahoe. They're going to Napa. Wahab living their best lives. And I'm at home like, yo, this PB&J is expensive. What am I doing wrong? And I realized that I needed an extra income. So I became a college counselor and did a lot of college counseling on the side for a long time. But the point that I'm making is I distinctly remember the day I was at work. And I was no longer afraid to be authentic. And it stemmed from the fact that I was like, if these people get upset <laughs> and try to fire me for telling me about themselves, I will be okay. <laughs> I'll tell you. I'll tell you. you probably it was a wonderful feeling. Yes. I remember that exact moment. I'll tell you. I'll never forget that moment the rest of my life. Like, uh, I, did, I was like, you know, you go, I had a little tax software, you know. Yes. Put the numbers in. Now I'm looking at this. I'm like, wait, wait, hold, wait, hold on. The math, is, <laughs> the math ain't math in right now. Because I, I thought, you know, this was where I was making all the money and I was just mm-hmm. supplementing, right? Mm-hmm. And we should talk, you know, you mentioned something I think is important as well. Like I actually, I don't, um, you know, I drive the same car I drove when I was 24. Look. I've been driving my little Honda since I was 22 until October of last year when it, when somebody hit it. But yes, me and my Honda have memories. I'm not out here, you know, getting the sexiest car. Okay. I also don't want a car now, but yeah. And I don't, and I don't, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to judge anyone for how they want to spend their money. But for me, like, I'm not doing it. I'm not doing this for the material Mm. gains that Mm -hmm. I could um, engage in. Right. Like, Mm -hmm. like, I'm I'm honestly really thinking about how do I set up my grandkids and my great grandkids. Yeah. You know, how do I leave something for them? How do I make sure that they feel the work that I've put? Exactly. Exactly. So that's something to really call out because you could put you can put in all the work, all the hours, make all the money, and then if you just spending it for yourself here and now, like what's the difference? I keep um, telling people and people laugh at me is I'm like, I have multiple streams of income. So my grandkids can come to me and say, hey, grandma, I want to do an unpaid internship in paleontology in Australia. I'm going to take a year off of college because I want to be the dude from Jurassic Park. Not the dumb dude who kept on bringing the dinosaurs, but like the dude who was like, you shouldn't (laughs) do this, right? And then as a grandmother, I want to be like, go forth and be great. Hey, now you know, because we now need you... more smart people in the paleontology world who are actively now, stopping people from bringing T Rex back, right? Now, That's what I want. <laughs> Lexi, you know you're gonna be like, yeah, no problem. But you know, Granddad gonna be like, 
You better finish college, and then we'll pay for your year. <laughs> Y'all know I'm married to a Nigerian. It's going to be a very interesting conversation. I can hear him now. He'll be like, oh, that's her American side talking. Right. <laughs> but the point is, regardless of what happens in the whole finished college experience, the money is, the, the conversation is not about, we cannot afford to send you to Australia to dig up dinosaur bones for six months so you can have your Jurassic Park dream. And I've always wanted that for my family and for other people. My next question to you is, we can sit here and joke about multiple streams of income. You and I both know that this is not an easy thing to do because like you said, you have to be good at your day job, right? That is that is the foundation. My question to you is, how do you balance the day job and the possible other things? Because I think in the media, we look at a lot of multiple streams of income from a lot of wealthy people, but we're not talking about the hustle that started to get them to a place where they're just making money as they sleep. You have to start somewhere. So how do you balance all this? What are your tips and tricks for that? Yeah, I mean, so, I mean, just keeping it real, um, if you are in your 20s, it's just, you know, don't sleep. Like, I mean, I didn't sleep. You know, people people are really into self-care right now, Wahab, and I don't want to knock that, but I'm not going to lie. When I was college counseling, no. I was working 16 hour a day. Yeah, I'm not, I mean, I'm not knocking it. I mean, I definitely still took care of myself, but it wasn't on a weekly basis. It was um, like, okay, you know what? Like, I'm starting to really feel it. Let me, let me take the weekend and, you know, go somewhere or, or like just try to relax and do something, you know? And I had things that didn't cost money on a daily basis that I like to do that, that were relaxing for me. Like, you know, like, you know, I, I'm, I love playing basketball. Like, you know, I played in college, like, so hooping was a big thing for me. Um, I like play, I play poker. So like playing poker is actually mm. like a very relaxing like experience for me. Um, but if you are in <clears throat> your twenties and you have the health, um, so I want to respect that as well. If you have the health, um, don't sleep, right? All them Friday nights, thir- Saturday nights, um, out at the club and, and, and at the bar and stuff like that, you could be, and I mean, in today's world, you can be at your crib, like putting some things together. Oh yeah. I mean, I think about my business and my whole business is really like email and phone and text conversations like that. That is the foundation of it. Like, yes, yeah, tools come into play with selling tickets and sponsor but but at the foundation it's like my it's just my laptop (laughs) you know so i would say like grind when you if you have the health and you have the the youth to do it grind and then as um things have gotten more complex um the other tip i would have is to um invest in your time management um so okay i've recently invested in having a um a virtual assistant um, to, to help really just make me more efficient and, yeah. and, and how I, how I work, how I operate, how I get things done. And, and she works with me across everything that I do. Right. So that's something that I think people always like might think is not worth it or sort of like, you know, you try to make the money why are you spending it on like a, a virtual assistant? But it's like the amount of time that I save because of that resource, you know, what does that get me back in terms of how, you know, the, the, the business or my ability to perform incredibly well at my day job? Um, and then, you know, to your point about about taking care of yourself and like, you know, I think you got you, you got to be honest with 
what it is you're trying to accomplish. You'll know. Oh yes. Yeah, Tell me more about it. that. It's the it's the angle. It's the angle. Yeah, yeah. It's like what what is the angle? And you know this about me. Um, I have leveraged like the the day like I've it's, it's it all works together. My day job is in a certain space. The business that I run is in a certain space. They work together. It's not like I'm doing four different random things. Right. right. And then as far as as far as the angle. I want to build generational wealth for my family. At least I want to play my role. I should say I want to play my part in that. Mm. Um, I want to play my part in that. Um, I want to have a choice in how I spend my time as soon as that is possible. Right? So I don't want to be out here in my old age, like not having a choice in what I'm doing or if I need to work or not. Now, I mean, again, you got Nigerian cousins, so I'm a, I'm a, I'm gonna lose that <laughs> no matter what. Anyway, yeah, at least let yes. me have a choice in what I'm in what I'm doing, right? Um, and, and and for me, those are like those are the I would say the the high level goals. Um, and you have to whatever you're at. If you're young and capable and healthy enough to do it, you got to grind, make sacrifices around the social aspects of life. Um, at that at those stages, um, take take time to take care of yourself. But don't overdo that. And then as you gain some success, gain some traction, invest in yourself. Um, for me, that means um, having uh, an assistant that can help me um, continue to work at the pace that I, I like to work while maintaining the fact that I've got more responsibilities um, uh, from a family standpoint that I need to make sure I'm on top of. And then I think the third one that everybody I think everybody talks about this, but, you know, uh, it can't be said enough is invest in, in, in people, invest yes. in the team. Um, and, you know, we've had a little bit of a conversation around this, but when I say invest in the team, that doesn't mean that, like, you the CEO every time. Right? Mm-hmm. Like, I think it's important to have a circle of people around you. that, And it's something that I'm actively trying to build uh, consistently for the longest time. Like, it's something that is not perfect for me, but I'm actively trying to surround myself with people that that I feel like can inspire me can push me to do more, to do better, and then hopefully I can do the same for them. And there will be some conversations where, um, you know, I'm the leader, and then there will be other uh, situations where, you know, I'm in the supportive role. Um, but having a team is is so crucial, I think, to like to being able to have scaled success. I agree. It's interesting you mentioned that as you were talking about that, I remember when I was doing my grind in my 20s, I would take every Friday night off. That was my thing. So I would do my day job Monday through Friday, but Monday through Thursday, I was doing my day job then leaving work and tutoring five, six hours every night. So Friday evening was my day off. So I didn't have a social life because I was like, go to the club or sleep go to the club or deep condition my hair. And I would always choose the latter because when you tutor Saturday and Sunday are your prime tutor days because kids aren't at school. So that's how I did it. And it was a lot of just time management about actively reminding myself what was the end goal. Cause the end goal wasn't actually being at the club and shout out to the people who go to the club. I love y'all too, but my personal end goal was not, I want to be at the club for the rest of my life. My personal end goal was like, I just want to wake up. 
and actively well, decide. Well, there's, hey, there's nothing wrong with the club, though. Now, you know nothing wrong with the club. Like, Shout out to the it's, clubs. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, yeah. It's just, it's just mod- I think it's just it's just moderation, and you know, as a like, I think it's just moderation, and, yeah. and it's just being being cognizant of of how you are spending your money, right? Like, it was a you know, Marshawn Lynch talking about country chickens. Yes. Like, <laughs> yes. You know, chickens, and, and the the thing I'm saying about like you know we we're like sort of talking about the club, but it's sort of like what's what's gonna happen when you go to the club? A, you're not getting sleep, right? So in your case, getting up the next day, you're not at your best for your mm-hmm. clients. That's gonna maybe hurt your ability to get repeat clients or get referrals, whatnot. B, you're gonna spend some money. Yep. Uh, you're gonna spend. Well, you may not spend some money. Uh, I don't know what the club culture is now, but you may not have had to spend some money, but maybe you did. But, you know, it, in some cases, you're going to spend some money. You're not getting that money back. No. That money's not going to make money for you. No. Right? Um, so you just got to do it, do, it, do it in moderation and find some other ways to, to take care of yourself. Let's talk about being good at your job. Because I think that it is much easier to diversify your income and dabble in other things outside of your nine to five when you are very secure in what's going on in your nine to five. Mm -hmm. Go deeper with that with me. What does it mean to you to be good at your nine to five job? Yeah. um, Perception is reality. Mm. So what it means to me, like fundamentally is that your boss and your boss's boss are giving you feedback that you're doing a good job. Straight okay. Up. And you may not always agree when the feedback is not uh, what you expect or not positive, but if that's the case, you got to work, you got to work, turn that around. So <clears throat> for me, um, I take, and I think it also is helpful as someone who runs their own business. I think that's also helped me because one of the first things I do is try to understand what is expected of me from a manager and what are the mm. things that I can do to make them feel very comfortable that I'm going to execute against those things and then I'm going to make them look good. Yeah. Um, uh, because I'm like, you know, earlier in my career, given I, I do have like an entrepreneurial mindset and instinct, I would just want to do the things that I thought <laughs> were the things to do, right? Like, I was, well, Hob was making his own curriculum in the 95. Yeah, I was, <laughs> like, yeah, I was like, I was like, what do you mean? Like, that's not important. I think that's important. So right. what are we talking about? Yeah. But now I realize, now I realize that it doesn't, like, it doesn't matter. And again, what is the goal? Like, what is mm. your goal? Like, if you are going down this path, because, like, let's, let's, let's also keep it real. Like, there is a path that you can go down where you can try to strive to go to, I don't know, GM or something and, and right. grind for, like, 30 years. And, you know, I don't know if they still doing a pension over there or not, but, like, you know, get a pension and, and be, you know, be set in that way. Like, that is okay. Like, I don't think yeah. either of us are sort of out here trying to prescribe to anyone um, how they should approach their careers. Um, but if you are going down this path of nine to five, Plus, you know, I have um, some business interests outside of the nine to five um, and the nine to five is foundational to the things that you're doing, then you are you are actively saying, OK, 
I got to play the nine to five by the book. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And the, you know, make sure that I'm in lockstep with the people that determine how I'm performing. Yeah. Um, so, so for me, that that's how I would define it. Like, you know, it's not, Oh, I think <laughs> I'm doing well, or <clears throat> I know I'm, you know, great at my job. It's, Hey manager, like, what do you expect of me? Mm-hmm. Let's get that. Okay. Here's, 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 I'm going to deliver on this for you. Um, build trust with you. Um, and then another thing we can talk about is the, if you're not great at your job, then people are going to start looking at you. Like, are you not doing your job because of all this stuff you're doing outside of here? See, you know, I was about to get to that. I was about yeah. to get to that. Um, before yeah. we get to that, cause we will. I did want to shout out to the first 90 days. When I start a new job, my first 90 days are critical. I am like 150% locked into that new job. Because like you said, I need to not only hear my boss say, this is what I expect from you. I need to play with that too. Because 10 times out of nine, Wahab, as you know, a lot of people say things that they actually don't mean. And so I think it's important also for us to lock into that new job. Maybe take a, a beat, a break from the multiple streams of income. So you can really get into the rhythm of this new job. So you can really understand that when your VP says red, they actually mean blue. Or when they say blue, they actually mean purple. And Mm -hmm. it's it's almost like, for me, it's, it's automating my job, but I have to play with it. I have to bend it. I have to stretch it. I have to dabble in things I shouldn't dabble in. And I have to build that trust with everyone. And then I have more energy and freedom for those multiple streams of income after work. No, I mean, no, I, I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, I talked about having a virtual assistant, right? Like I, in between these, this, this last um, job change, I had, I hired a virtual assistant anticipating that my business is at a level now where I don't, I can't take a step back. Like I okay. can't actively take a step back. And so in preparation, knowing that Yo, when I start this new job, like I'm, I'm going to have to be locked in. Yeah. And I am not going to have the bandwidth to keep the business running in the way that I had been. Mm. So that was actually one of the biggest drivers for me to hire the virtual assistant. Um, it's gone great, you know, and we're still working through like processes and systems, but it was absolutely to your point where you know, I have to focus on, and I wouldn't even, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't even gate it on 90 days. I would just say to your point, it's like, I have to make sure that the, before I start to not have my mind necessarily hundred percent, 24 seven on, on, on the main thing that I feel very confident Yes. that if my capacity goes to 80% on that thing, that I can accomplish hundred percent within that. Right, like I have to be confident that I'm, I'm, I'm on, I'm positive that yo, I can get what I need to get done in this amount of time, with this amount of effort, and the and the people that I am responsible to for that will be happy with what my output is. Yeah. Once I'm confident on that, then I can then I can begin to start to think about other things. So let's talk about what you were mentioning because we have to discuss it. A lot of people have multiple streams of income. A lot of people are hustling and bustling outside of their nine to five job. How 
do we do that successfully with our nine to five job knowing or not knowing? How do we, how do we do that? Because you know, if you start messing up in your nine to five job, people start researching, people start, you know, Wahab on the Google, <laughs> on the Google right? Yeah. Trying to figure out, well, what does Wahab also do? And then articles come up and then this doubt comes in and then it's like, well, you're not focused on us. How do, how do you navigate that? Thank you so much for joining our table today. Remember to follow me on LinkedIn at LexiB and subscribe to our newsletter to get all the hot tea on updates, upcoming guests, and more. Stay honest, stay curious, and above all, stay authentic. Much love, fam. Much love.